Merry Christmas, Stephen. Merry Christmas, Erica. It is, as we record this, Christmas Eve, and we just watched, watched some Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Bearing Lily, we haven't recorded in like almost four months, mm-hmm. just so you know. It's it's been it's been some some months. Yeah. Blech. Yeah. It's been a it's been a hectic and weird strange time, but everything's fine now. We're all fine now here. How are you? <laughs> I guess I'm fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We watched Star Wars too. We watched that twice, but this is not we're not here reviewing Star Wars. We you are here trying to get back into the groove of things with this lazy Doctor Who podcast. So apologies right now if we repeat ourselves. Because we don't remember what we said four months ago. Whatever. We repeat ourselves when we do episodes four days apart. <laughs> four minutes, <laughs> hours apart, four episodes. Yeah. What did we watch today? We watched episode one of The Mind of Evil. Mind of Evil. <laughs> it's not on the screen. I was like, wait a minute. Ah. Yes. Uh, the second story of season eight. Which I think is uh, your Verity cohorts. Liz is one of her favorite seasons. Yeah, it's her comfort season. Uh, like yes. when she just wants to relax and watch a warm, fuzzy blanket made of Doctor Who. Yeah. That's that's the season she watches. I, you know, to each one's own. <laughs> she wa- her her Liz's fuzzy blanket Doctor Who is uh, some uh, mind altering drama set in a British prison. That's basically what that is. Yeah, I so I've seen this before, mm-hmm. but only the one time. And it was in black and white, and it was not in context. So this, it, you know, feels not entirely new, but very different um, from before. Did Radio Friscaro do a commentary of this? Are you sure? Did, did you do an episode about it or something? Because I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why I had watched it in the first place, and I thought it was because you guys did a commentary, but maybe maybe that's not the case. Maybe you know what? Uh, I'm trying to think if. If we reviewed it on RFS, that would be the only case because Tim Coombe, Tim Coombe, who directed this, only directed one other story, which was Doctor Who and the Silurians. So he doesn't qualify for miniscope uh, idness, nor does writer Don Houghton, who only wrote this and Inferno. So the only way that we would have done something about this was, yeah, it would have been a commentary. And I can't remember if we did one or not. See, I think you uh, just because I remember you saying Tim Coombe like that. Tim Coom. Repeatedly. Tim Coom. (laughs) On RFS. So I think it's possible that you did a commentary on it years ago and I watched it first and then watched it with commentary. The reason I did uh, Tim Coom is because apparently uh, John Pertwee would lead the cast in like sort of a vocal warm up the night of the recording of each episode and... um, Usually was like Roy Hud or something like that. I can't remember who the name of some British vaudeville comedian was or something. But on this occasion, because of the name of the director, he thought it would be amusing if he said Tim Goom because it was a good vocal warm up. And so that was me just repeating the anecdote. So I there is uh, there have been intrepid fans who have actually um, cataloged. Not only what uh, episodes Verity has done and covered and stuff, but also what commentaries Radio Free Scarrow has, has done. I'd have to consult that list. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Okay. Well, anyway, so so yeah, so it's definitely within the, you know, the time that I've known you, mm-hmm. or at least known of Radio Free Scarrow. I maybe didn't know you at the time, but uh, Gosh. Yeah. yeah. So I had seen it, but this feels very different. I was uh, surprised by how. Yeah 
distressing the beginning is like they're pulling a like a man out to alter his mind against his will and like he's fighting against it and it's like that's that, that's awful stuff yeah. it's essentially a prison execution in some ways you know because they're altering his mind they're basically changing who he is mm-hmm. yeah i i really like the science fictional idea behind this one mm-hmm. you know even you know even if it wasn't doctor who i could totally see this being some sort of a you know 50s or 60s b sci-fi <laughs> drama type uh, thing with you know there's there's this this machine that can can alter people's minds and i mean on the surface like it does like if that was actually a thing that really did work mm-hmm. and wasn't uh like screwy like sign me up please <laughs> take away my negative impulses so it's, it'd be way easier than years and years of therapy and drug treatments and stuff it's basically like kind of electroshock treatment is what we're looking at here, isn't it? In some ways, um, ECT is electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah, uh, is I, I wasn't necessarily comparing it to an actual proper mm-hmm. medical. T- I'm more thinking Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that's more used for depression these days. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know. Maybe at the time, I was thinking more like lobotomy. Yeah like an actual physical you know they used to just jam an ice pick uh in your eye i'm not (laughs) okay it wasn't technically an ice pick but it might as well have been and they would just like you know tap 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 in Uh in your eye it was it was all the rage amongst you know women of a certain strata of society to calm them down and yeah i'm not joking this is this is real stuff um, so, so that's why this doesn't feel like it's a million miles away from the kind of, you know, I remember hearing a radio play. It was like a, you know, probably made in the 1940s, but I heard it not that long ago. Um, where, yeah, it was all centered around, uh, lobotomies. <laughs> like that was the, the boogeyman was wow. like, you, you know, getting a lobotomy was like, like a terrible thing, which yeah, kind of. It, it is. It is a terrible thing by the sounds of it. Yep. Oh. So anyway, yeah, uh, you're right. It is. But, but I like the, you know, the. Dr. Summers, at least, seems to think that he, I mean, he's really just taking care of the prisoners. He's He has nothing to do specifically with the machine itself. But, like, you know, he seems to be the kind of guy who just wants the best for the prisoners. And if, if he's being told that this is the new science that, that actually helps and works, then, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, in a way, it's it's somewhat aspirational because that is, you know, that would be a nice thing to be able to do would be take away Take away the badness yeah. inside the old brain box. <laughs> the old brain box. Thinking, yeah, I'll go along with this. Whatever makes my job easier is kind of what doctors stuff. Mm-hmm. Although you can tell that the, the Dr. Summers and the doctor sort of have an understanding and mm-hmm. respect amongst each other's mm-hmm. abilities as opposed to like Kettering, mm-hmm. uh, who he does not get along with the doctor mm-hmm. at all. If I was a scientist, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, of course, the doctor is right to be worried about this because especially mm. given the you know the, the science of the time this is uh head and shoulders like far above what what they're actually able to do i feel like maybe it's a little bit of a leap to call it evil but uh i mean in the end he ends up being right so yeah good job doctor but i feel like he you know jumped to a conclusion a little bit there yeah he, he i think the doctor is perhaps at his most jerkish in episode one of this just when he's in the you know he just sort of like 
doing aside comments, interrupting the uh, speech and stuff. Um, I do like uh, what I assume is an accidental bit of a flourish when he sort of swoops his cape aside and then hits the extra right next to him. And so, oh, sorry. You know, I, I don't think that was actually planned, but I, I did enjoy that little bit of humility from him. So, yeah, so he's being uh, friendly-ish to the people in the audience with him, but he is, he is whatever kind of reading or information that he's done up mm-hmm. on this technology, quote-unquote technology, has gotten him pretty head up and uh, a little overexcited about it. So he, you're right, he is completely rude Mm -hmm. to this guy who is giving this presentation. But at the same time, yeah, he's not just a guy who's giving a presentation. He is a guy who is basically uh, doing brain, like doing mind surgery on somebody against their will. Uh, Yeah, we we may not kill patients anymore, but, uh, but no, we will instead do terrible, terrible things to their minds. Uh, that they don't want us to do. Yeah, and they'll be fine. Within an hour, they'll be fine and just completely cured and stuff. And it's obvious that that's not the case, as you see from Barnum early on. Well, he does scream awfully, which is also somewhat distressing to watch, but he seemed okay at the end there. So everything happily ever after. (laughs) A rare one-episode story (laughs) and. John Portier, Doctor Who, apart from the cliffhanger, of course, where he sees fire and then the credits roll, but Mm -hmm. yeah. And somebody was killed by rats that weren't there, and uh, somebody else drowned in the middle of a dry room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then we actually have a uh, an Asian woman playing an Asian woman on the other side of the things with the breed deer. Yes, uh, uh, Picklin Sim, I think is her name, who was the wife of the writer Don Houghton, actually. Mm. Yeah, but I think she's been in other... Th- I think actually she, she's returned to Big Finish in recent years to do some stuff not necessarily the same character i don't remember but uh but yeah yeah an actual chinese person playing a chinese person how about as you can tell by dudley simpson's music there's a certain little chinese flourish because <laughs> look out there's a chinese person on screen it is still 1971 of course well i mean and it's not just that she is uh, a british person of chinese descent she's yeah. actually playing a character mm-hmm. from china yeah. who is there with a chinese delegation in this like world peace conference so i have no problem with the dudley simpson adding in you know flourishes of, of, of Chinese style music because okay. it's, you know, it, that's actually the character mm-hmm. is, is from China. It's not like, you know, you just happen to have, you know, a, a person who was born in Britain but is of Chinese descent and you're playing Chinese music. Right. That would be uncool. Yeah. I, I only, because there's, I, oh, I wish I could remember the actor's name. He's really good. He was in an episode of, I think, season three or four of Blake Seven. And he was a uh, of Chinese descent, and Dudley Simpson would like throw a big like gong in there every time he would sort of appear. Like there were obvious like even though it was like in space, like it wasn't like you know, yeah, and it seemed very out of place. Yes, yeah, see that that I would uh, I would take issue with because it's so far in the future, and you know if that guy was like not even from Earth yeah. in the first place, yeah, that's that's a completely different thing. Whereas here we're in the 1970s or 80s, mm-hmm. uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> And and we have some sort of world peace conference, which Lucky Brig gets uh, the unit gets to be in charge of uh, security. Yeah, I I don't think that uh, Earth would have waited until the 1980s to have their first uh, world peace conference, given that uh, I think probably they needed to have one earlier than that, maybe in the 1970s. Um, but so that might throw the dating. Please, protocol out the window. Please let's not relitigate the unit dating <laughs> controversy. We'll do our best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I I like the Brigadier 
being mm-hmm. all smart and like you know check the time on the phone call yeah. and something something hinky's going on with that thing behind her ear which i noticed in the first scene that she was in and i thought it was a weird earring or something and then obviously it's not because it's doing something and making her burn her own papers and stuff mm-hmm. i like that they don't call attention to it in the first scene which she's in which is shot in studio and part of me thought oh that's clever direction but i also probably think we don't want to waste a camera on trying to get that <laughs> shot of the earring to draw attention to it. So we're just going to have it be there, which, you know, credit to them for, uh, for continuity's sake. But yeah, they only see it when she's out on location, burning things in the garbage bin next to children in Doctor Who. Yeah. Like, uh, like I want to go, are those all actually extras or did they just go to a park and film? <laughs> you know, a little of column A, a little column B, perhaps. They go, let's go to a, hey, there's kids here. Let's just use the kids or something possible. That I, I don't know the full story behind that. I mean, obviously today you could not get away with that without you know release forms and stuff mm. for parents of every one of those kids. And maybe they had to do that then. But but yeah, I just like the idea of a random woman marching through the park to a, a wire frame, mm-hmm. uh, waste paper basket, I yeah. suppose, and then just like starting some papers on fire and then dropping them in and turning around and walking away. Yeah. And there are dried dead leaves on the ground right around it. I'm like, that's just <laughs> just asking for disaster right I there. Know. Yeah, this coming from the decade that brought you lawn darts. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> All those children died 20 minutes later. <laughs> I just, it's actually a pretty striking visual when you see this like this, you know, this person sort of consumed by evil, perhaps because of the thing on her ear and like burning things. You could just like the evil music going on. But then there's these children playing in the park. She's doing this in the middle of a park with children. It's such a a shocking contrast. Juxtaposition. Juxtaposition, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else about this before I bore you with facts? Um I like how observant Joe is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doctor doesn't let her help, uh, <laughs> no. which which is fine because you know what is she going to do? She doesn't know how to like rewire a Keller machine. Actually, probably the doctor doesn't either. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, her recognizing she's the first one to call attention to the look on the dead guy's face. Yep. How scared he was. She also points out that the uh, death probably happened around the same time as the like rioting started to happen, mm-hmm. which. Um, I got I got the impression that the doctor had not noticed the dude's face and that that was Joe pointing something out to him and him being like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, whereas the second time where she said, you know, the timing matches up, I got the impression that the doctor had already thought of that. So yeah. it's, it's it's nice that like they're not they're not going all in one direction or another. They're not making it so that she's pointing things out that the doctor has missed all the time. But sometimes she is or it seems like it anyway. It might also be. um the character of Joe sort of describing what his face was like so you don't have to show it. It is still a family show after all. You don't necessarily want to have someone, you know, a close-up on that poor guy's face being distorted. Very true. But, I mean, they could have given that line to the doctor. They could have had him pointing mm-hmm. it out to right. Joe that the guy's, you know, face looked. But, no, they had they had her doing it, which mm-hmm. seems to fit with her character, you know, as, as much as we know about it so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, we watched this in color, which still seems weird to me. To me, this is always a black and white story because I watched it to death when I was a kid mm-hmm. in black and white. And that's the way you saw it for the first, is this the first time you've seen it in color then ever? Yep. Wow. What are your impressions of, of Mind of Evil in color? Uh, the color seems a little weird. Like it seems a little bluish. Okay. Um, 
but it is it also is weird to watch it in color because it just seems to me like it should be in black and white because that's how I saw it. Right. I'm sure when we get to the demons, is that that is that in color now? Yeah, everything everything in the part we hear is in color now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, that's gonna be weird too. It's gonna be weird. Uh, this one was actually uh, colorized by uh, Babel Color on Twitter. Stuart Humphreys is his name. So this one was actually colorized. The reason why the other five episodes weren't, they didn't have to be colorized uh because this this is my favorite thing about bbc technicians of the 1970s because when they were making like overseas copies they just sort of like you know did a kinescope kind of thing of hooking up a black and white camera to it and just recording 16 mil black and white film versions of the episodes and there was a little um switch or something where basically you would turn the color off because apparently the the there would be some slight color bleed through or the data of, of that televised image would make its way onto the film and would kind of like produce kind of like oh well, there's a little, tiny little bit of color there we don't want that um i can think of off the top of my head only two episodes of doctor who that actually were correctly switched off this one and i think episode three of planet of the daleks all the rest of the john pertwee episodes i think had a technician not bother to turn that switch so thanks to their laziness uh, you, decades later, uh, the restoration team was able to restore the color uh, properly. But that one week, whoever recorded this one was some studious employee and followed it by the book and, um, and turned it off. So thus negating, thus, thus necessitating an actual proper colorization. So we'll see what the color looks like uh, for the rest of the episodes. Yeah, I'm interested to see, to see the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every time I hear that story and think about that, I think, man, like... I am such a goody-goody, rule-following, anal-retentive, do all of the steps and do them right kind of person that I think, man, if I had been working at the BBC at that time, like... I would have ruined everything for so many people because I would have I would have flipped that switch every gosh darn time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I now I'm like in my life like, what am I doing right now? What am I doing correctly that is throwing things off for the future <laughs> there is like there are uh, quite a you know, galaxy four part three underwater menace part two and three actually all these little orphan episodes from the 1960s uh that exist now are because some bbc employee or employees at some point disobeyed or disregarded in order to destroy these film <laughs> copies and let them loose into the wild. The reason we have missing episodes that are that are no longer missing is because of uh, incompetence in the <laughs> 1960s, which is kind of heartwarming in a way. So, so yes, the lesson is don't be so good at your job. <laughs> Great. Oh, yeah, it's either incompetence or just plain like they just actively not caring. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not indifference. I think union indifference. I think is probably what it all amounts to. Hey, I'm in a union and I am not <laughs> indifferent at all. I know, but we're we're approaching the uh, surliness of the 1970s unions where there were strikes aplenty and into the 1980s and stuff. I'm I'm not bashing unions. I'm pro union, but it's just it's um. <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, did you recognize certain actors in this at all? Probably not. Some of them have appeared in Doctor Who. Some of them will be more appearing in Doctor Who later on. Uh, the prisoner who got his mind messed up um, seemed familiar, but I mean, he has a very distinct face, mm-hmm. so I might just be remembering him from when I saw this before. He is Neil McCarthy, I think is his name. He will appear at, in The Power of Kroll, actually. 
that as Thawne. Yeah. That's where I know him from because that's I love the power of cruel. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, in the episode prior to that, or the story rather, the Androids of Tara, you will see Simon Lack playing Zodek, head of Prince Reynard's guards, wearing the funny hat and stuff. He played uh, Professor Kettering in this episode. I thought he was familiar as well. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Michael Sheard making his second appearance in Doctor Who, his first being in the arc. He plays Dr. Summers, Michael Sheard. I thought he looked familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a Doctor Who legend as well. So, wow. there you go. This is a legendary story. Yes. And also, we see the first of two uh, stories in which Corporal Bell appears, one of the shorter running uh, recurring characters in unit history, and indeed the only woman. Yep, I I appreciate her just because she is a woman who you know works for Unit in a in an official more official capacity mm-hmm. than you know uh, Liz or or Joe. So, yay for Corporal Bell. I mean, she's already like done a, a good job. Uh, the calls were logged appropriately, mm-hmm. and she was able to check on it. So you know, very important plot point thanks to Corporal Bell. Yep, two competent and prominent female characters in the first episode of this story. How about one of them, a person of color? Well, I was going to say three because I want to count Joe too. Joe too. I mean, outside of the normal yeah. companion, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's a bonanza. <laughs> a bonanza of progressive attitudes in 1971. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't. I don't feel like it's going to last. Pro- probably not. No. Well, uh, is that it? That's it for this episode. It's going to be back, I suppose. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us and stuff. <laughs> Assuming anybody's actually listening to this. That's true. Thank <laughs> you for your support. It's Incomparable Network and everything. I imagine we'll start watching more episodes after this. I don't know. Usually about this time, 8 o'clock, you start to feel tired, so I don't know where you're sitting at that. Well, it's uh, it's vacation time. I, I have off until uh, the day after New Year's, so... Um, I can probably stay up for a little bit longer. Yay, more okay. lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> Why do you keep doing that? You're so weird. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.